I want to talk to us for the next couple of hours today on, on, on a, I'm going to continue what I did last week um, on the topic of get up, God's not finished with you yet. <clears throat> get up, God's not finished with you, but I got a subtitle. Make no compromises. Make no compromises. Do you know that a lot of times we're doing life, and in life we're following God, we think, and, but all along we're making compromises, and then we wonder why we can't accomplish what God, what we believe God has put in our heart. You ever, you ever been there like... God, I know you want to do something in my life, but I don't feel like I'm accomplishing that. And if we begin to look at our lives, sometimes we see little compromises all along that kept us from moving and operating in that calling and that anointing that God had for us. So I want to take my text uh, from Revelations chapter 3, verse 1 again. Revelations 3, 1 says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you're dead. You have a name, that you're alive, but you're dead. What what is it that causes us to decay, to die, to, to just not flourish? There's something. We may think we're doing something, but... In this passage of Scripture, the angel of the Lord is speaking to the heathens, to the church, the seven churches, to the church. He's speaking to the church, and he says, I know your works, that you have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. I told you you'd hear this verse a whole lot uh, this coming year. James 1.22 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves let me let me rephrase that statement that verse and make it uh, more uh, user friendly if you don't do what the word of God says you're deceiving yourselves if, if you, you can hear it, but if you don't do it, you're just deceiving yourselves. Because there's, a, there's something about God using people. God always uses people. Th- think about this. this. Well, I don't know about that. The only time God that I think of that is not using people is in creation. And he started right off with them, but he didn't use them for creation. And rapture of the church at the end. We're going to be with him, but he's going to do everything, okay? The other periods between Genesis and Revelation, between creation and the rapture of the church, people will be involved to accomplish what God wants to accomplish on this earth. You won't find it any other way. He's going to use, and there may be some strange events happen around you and around your life. You say, well, that had to be God. But he's moving people in a place so he can accomplish what he wants to accomplish, And so if you can just, if you hear the word of God, but you don't act upon the word of God, you're deceiving yourselves. That's a pretty tough statement if you think about that. So what are we doing as a person, individually as a Christian, and as a church body? Are we hearers of the word? We, each one of us know we're supposed to go make disciples, Matthew 28, 19. When souls make disciples. We, We know that. We think that's it. Sadly enough, if that was it, how are we doing? There's lost people going to go to hell that will die today that we've passed numerous times that we work with, our family members that will die and go to hell without Jesus, and we had opportunities to tell them, but we're all about Christ. We're Christian. Would Revelations chapter 3 verse 1 apply to us? I know your works. That you have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. What is a church supposed to be? What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to bring life. We are the light. The church is referred to as the light of the world. Am I correct? The, the church is referred to as the salt, the flavor. Are we bringing light? 20, some 20% of Americans is all that go to church. And that's a, 
That's a large figure. I mean, that's a kind of, I think, up figure. 20%. 330-plus million, so you can do the math. 60, roughly 60 million, a little more. Not very many. So what are we going to do? So let's get into Scripture today. So it's time for the church to get up and recognize that God's not finished with us just yet. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Judges. Um, I'm going to jump over into Judges. I'll be in Judges 13, Judges 14, Judges 15, and Judges 16. The latter part of Judges 13, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to bring out some verses. Now, what I, want you to, what I want you to understand about this is you need you got homework. You need to go home and read Judges 13, 14, 15, and 16. Now, Ralph, we, my wife made up notes pages for you so that when Dale calls you, you, you okay, no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're out there, yeah. Well, no, 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 you got to fill them in now. They blank. No, they ain't, I ain't doing all the work for you. I like cheating on a test. <laughs> so, um, so I'm gonna. I want you to read now. What we what we find in Judges 13 is the story of Samson. When I say Samson, what's the first word that comes to your mind? Delilah. Right, Samson. You say Delilah. Samson. Delilah. Samson. Delilah. Well, I ain't gonna talk about Delilah too much today. Matter of fact. Samson found himself in a big mess way before Delilah came on the scene. Samson made a bunch of compromises way before he turned to the, to the hoe. Come on. That's what the Bible says she was. Hmm. So watch this. In Judges 13, 1 through 23, we have the prophecy of the birth of Samson, okay? Now, that's important. Now, when, when you go back and read it, this will make all of these blank spots here because I'm going to hit some high points. I only have an hour. There's a prophetic uh, word that Samson would be born, what he would be, and, and what he's going to do, okay? And so you got to get that in, in ch- chapter 13, In verse 24, we have the account of his actual birth. It says, so the woman bore a son and called his name Samson, and the child grew, and and the Lord blessed him. Pay attention to what's going on. There's a prophetic word that Samson would be born. I'm going to talk a little bit more about it in a minute. And in verse 24, when he was born, says the woman bore a son, and when he grew, the spirit of the Lord, the Lord blessed him. My translation here says, uh, that that the, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, okay? As a, as a young boy. He wasn't a baby. He was a young boy, okay? <clears throat> and then uh, if, we, if we look in um, verse 5 of chapter 13, we find his calling and anointing was to be a Nazarite, okay? He was a Nazarite. Nazarite means consecrated to God. That means set apart to God. Now, there's some things that I want to build a foundation on today. That, so what's the significance? What's the big deal with Samson and being a Nazarite? Well, number one, he's consecrated to God. He's set apart to God. But what is a Nazarite? What, is that, what does that mean? So if you call yourself a Nazarite, what is that? Well, I'm going to give you uh, three things that the Bible uh, explicitly shows us in Scripture that says or that you could look at a person and say, you are a Nazarite, okay? Number one, uh, we find this in Numbers chapter 6, verse 3. M- matter of fact, all three of the things that I'm going to point out will be in Numbers chapter 6. <clears throat> it says, a Nazarite was not supposed to drink wine or similar drink or anything made from grapes or raisins or even the skins of grapes. So if you're a Nazarite, you, you, could, you had no part of any kind of grape, grape juice, grape skin, wine, or anything. That was one thing. If you showed up at a gathering and they offered you a drink of wine or something that was made from grape, you said, nope. First thing went off in people's mind, I bet he's a Nazarite. Okay. So, so, let me move on to number two. Number two. Number six. Chapter 6, verse 5 says, And the Nazarite was not supposed to shave his head, but let the locks of his hair grow up on his head. I wouldn't qualify. 
it's not going to happen. Even if I didn't shave my head, it's not going to happen. Amen? But when you notice someone who would refrain from a drink of, made from grapes, any source of grapes, and they, they had longer hair and locks, guess what? Now you're saying, I bet you they are a Nazarite. I mean, things are lining up looking like they are a Nazarite, okay? Number three, in Numbers uh, chapter 6, verse 6, says that a Nazarite was not supposed to go near or touch a dead body. Well, I could qualify there. I'm not much in on that, so I'm pretty good there. But those three things were the main criteria for a Nazarite. And when you saw those and you recognized that someone was a Nazarite, you automatically said that they're consecrated to God. Okay? So this is important. That foundation is important. We as a Christian, if we label ourselves Christian... What should people first think? I'm consecrated to God. You, can't not, you cannot be a friend of the world and a friend of Christ at the same time. They're enmity with each other. They're at war with each other. We have to come out. The Bible says that you must come out and be you separate Be a peculiar people, not a weirdo, just different. There ought to be things about a Christian that when the world sees us, they say they're different. They must be a Christian. That's not a bad thing. The church for the last 15, 20 to 25 years had said, well, why don't, we, why don't we water down the gospel? Why don't we water down the Holy Spirit? Why don't we just pull him out of the, and put him in the back room somewhere and let's just be like them so we can win them. Win them to what? Yes, there are a lot of good churches that have a lot of numbers and they say, well, we've won them. Won them to what? Typically, it's we've won them to church attendance. We have won them to a program. We have won them to a small group. But in reality, they're lost when it comes to their spiritual well-being. They're not going to heaven. So we as a Christian... Much like God set aside Samson to be a Nazarite and there was uh, outward appearances, outward signs that said he's a Nazarite, the Christian should have, you and I should have as Christ's followers, some outward signs that says I'm a Christian. Agreed? Okay, amen. Good. So you, you read all these verses, these chapters, and you'll, it'll come together really good for you. So if we go back to Judges chapter 13, verse 24... I want to read this. I want you to know that God is always doing his part. When God has a plan, God never stops doing his part. Now, it may get derailed, but it's not because God wants it derailed. It's not because God says, well, I'm going to show them. I'm just going to. It's because humanity says, I don't want to do it. But God always does his part, okay? Judges 13, 24 says this. So the woman bore a son and called his name Samson, and the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at Mahanam, uh, Dan, between Zorah and Estol. That would be enough for me that God would move on me in those two places. Can't even say them. God began to move upon Samson. He began to move. How many of you have experienced God to begin to move on you before in your life? And we wonder later on, what happened? Where is God? What happened, God? I mean, we had this thing and we were doing good and I was doing good. And did you forget me, God? Watch. God will always do his part. Keep that in your mind. Now we're going to go to Judges 14, verse 5. We're going to find that there's three times, other than the first one that I just talked to you about, there's going to be three times we're going to talk about in the next few minutes where God is going to mightily move upon Samson. God is mightily. The Scripture even uses the word mightily. That means in much power. He moved mightily upon Samson to accomplish what God wanted to accomplish. Now watch this, Judges 14, verse 5. 
I titled, I had a little subheading here that says, Justifying Your Actions While at the Same Time Compromising. I don't know about you, but I've done that. Justify why I'm doing it, but compromising the whole time. Watch this. In Judges 14, verse 5, So Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat, though he had nothing in his hands. But he did not tell his father nor his mother what he had done. Verse 7. Then he went down and talked to the woman, and she pleased Samson well. After some time, he went and returned to get her. He turned aside to see the carcass of the lion, and behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. Take note in verse 9. And he took some of it in his hands, and, and he went, went along eating. And when he came to his father and his mother, he gave them some, and they also ate, but he did not tell them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. Now, you read that little passage of Scripture. That's the first time that the Spirit of the Lord mightily came upon God. That, um, you thank God. I mean, a lion jumps out of the bushes at you, and you don't have anything in your hands. You're hoping God shows up, right? I mean, you don't, you don't, have, a, you don't, have, a, you don't have a gun. You don't have a knife. You don't have your, your bow and arrow. You have nothing. And this lion just suddenly, according to Scripture, if we're looking at this, he's walking along, and all of a sudden, a lion jumps out. And Samson kills him. That's, that's pretty cool, huh? You think that's justifiable, right? Sure. You, know, you don't want to be killed by a lion, right? But watch this. Nothing wrong with defending himself against the attack of the lion. Nothing whatsoever. But it appears the lion was the aggressor while Samson was just minding his own business. Walking along, going to get his wife. Isn't that great? We want people to get married. The Bible says that we should uh, leave our mother and father and, and cling to a wife, or in his case, being a man. That's what the Bible says, right? Sure, it does. Little problem here with this. Why was Samson in a country he wasn't supposed to be in? See, I didn't tell you, but Samson already knew that he wasn't supposed to take a wife of another tribe. Samson was doing good walking along. The Spirit of God came up. He thinks, oh, the Spirit of God's on me. I'm doing good. I am doing what I'm supposed to do because the Spirit of the Lord came mightily up on me. All the time, he's going to a different country, a country that he is forbidden to go, especially as a Nazarite. He's justifying some actions. Now watch this. You may say that as a Nazarite, he wasn't really an Israelite. The Israelites were never to leave their country to get some, another, another spouse. Never. But look at it this way, that Samson was a Nazarite, but an Israelite. He was an Arkansan, but an American. Okay? So, so when you look at that, he's in the wrong place to begin with. But God's doing his part. God's got a plan for Samson. And it wasn't going to be derailed too quick. Because God said, well, this lion comes out. I'll put my spirit upon you. You can kill the lion. Anybody ever wrestled with a lion in some of these petting zoos? You know, where they come around and got in there. Do you know how massive a lion is? They're big. I mean, they got, they got legs as big as mine. I mean, they're huge. They're powerful animals. And he killed him. I've done some research on Samson. Samson doesn't be, appear to be buff like myself. <laughs> he appears to be somewhat of a smaller statue, but when the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, he gave him supernatural strength. Because if he's a big guy, you would expect that, right? See, God does things that you and I don't even know about. He'll use the most unlikely to accomplish the most unlikely. So keep that in your mind. Watch. <clears throat> the compromise for Samson in this case was through marriage. Samson allowed 
someone who served the pagan gods to access him and his anointing and his calling. Hear me when I tell you this. If you're not married and you're about to get married, pay attention to what I'm going to say. I don't know if anybody's about to get married in here. I'm just using this illustration. Be careful who you marry because of this. That person will affect and infect your anointing and your calling. Do you hear me? It will affect and infect your anointing and your calling. God's got a calling on your life and who you connect with. Guess what? There's great influence there. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It is very important that you know who you're teaming up with so that it will not affect your calling and your anointing. Because when you team up with someone that messes with your calling and anointing, there's a compromise. Now remember, we're not talking about Delilah. We're talking about a wife. Okay? Delilah's way down there. Okay? Do we justify our actions while at the same time making a compromise to what God is calling us to do? Do we make compromises? Saying, well, God, it's not that big of a deal. I know you've called me to do that, but I really don't want. I don't want to do that. I don't want to get close to you. I don't want to read my Bible. I don't want to dig deeper in you. I don't want to go deeper in you. We do that all the time. We make compromises to what God wants to do in our lives. And we say, well, this is more important. We all know people who have started out great with God and then compromised one small thing, just one. And the next thing you know, they're not even, at best, they're at a church attendance every now and then. They're reading their Bible every now and then. They can tell me what they want to. Come on. You can tell me you read your Bible every day, but, if you're, but, but there's going to be some fruit, just like we saw on that, that would, would say that you're a Nazarite. There's going to be some fruit from you that says you're a Christian. And if your church attendance falls off to nothing, I can tell you right now. A church attendance didn't stop you from reading your Bible. That's a symptom that you did stop reading your Bible. That's a symptom that you did stop praying. Amen, Pastor, you're doing good. Well, thank you. So what did this first compromise lead to? Samson's first compromise, his compromise was going to a country to pick up another woman that he didn't need to be with, according to Scripture, okay? So that was his first compromise. What did that lead to? Now, you have to go and read these chapters to get the full effect because I don't have time this morning. It led to murder of innocent men. It led to anger, so much anger that he left his wife in that country. And thirdly, his wife was given to his best man in the wedding. Well, that's a stinker. I mean, you go get married to this woman, God says, now don't do it. And you're thinking, this is so good. I mean, I was going to get her. And I mean, the spirit of the Lord came up on me and gave me supernatural strength, right? And I killed a lion, so God must be okay with it. And you go down there and guess what? The second thing, one of the things that he did too on the way down there, remember he got some honey out of a carcass of a lion? One of the three things that a Nazarite wasn't supposed to do was touch anything dead. And not only did he touch it, but he reached inside of it. And he got something out that he put in his spirit. He got, I mean, it was nourishment to his body, this honey. And then he began to spread it around to his mom and dad. And then guess what? Then he got prideful and come up with a riddle. And he wanted the, the, uh, his wife's people to solve the riddle, and they couldn't. See, he just keeps leading. And the riddle was this, that he, he gave him a riddle about the, uh, the man, him killing the, the, the lion and the honey being in it, and they couldn't solve it. And they went to his wife and said, hey, uh, get him to tell us what, what, what the riddle was. He had seven days. The bet was, and it's what it was, the bet, if you can solve the riddle in seven days, I'll give you 30 garments. And if you don't, you give me 30 garments. So... They pressed his wife, and he told her. But I love what he responded first. Now, I don't suggest this, doing this as a man. I'm just saying. She said, you don't love me. 
Anybody ever, any man ever heard that in here? You don't love me or you would. There's no hands going up right now. There's not a, there's not a man in here. You, you wimps. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, you don't count though. You just, uh, yeah. <laughs> and so, so what happens is she presses him and he tells her and he gets her. He says, well, why should I tell you? I ain't told my mom and daddy. First thing a man should never do is tell his wife anything comparative to his mother. Ever. Ever. But he did. And he told him, she, told, she tells the, her friends, all of that, that come, and guess what? They solve the riddle. Makes him mad. He makes this statement. Well, if you hadn't plowed my heifer, you hadn't pressed my heifer, how would y'all like to be called a heifer? Did he get any amen from any women? I don't think so. But you plowed my heifer and she told you. So I tell you what, I'm going to give you the 30 garments. So what did he do? He went and found 30 of their people and killed them, took the garments off of them, took them back to them. Why? Because he was in a place of compromise. God never told him to get there. But he thought... Well, I'm in God's will because the anointing came upon me and I killed this lion. Nobody else ever done that. Look at me. And he touched that carcass and he knew he wasn't supposed to touch that carcass. And he ends up in a place, one compromise, one small compromise. He looked at a woman through lustful eyes and said, I want that woman. Mama, Daddy, go get that woman for me. We do it all the time. I want that car. Come on. I want that house. I want that set of clothes. Guess what? We compromise, and we take on extra hours at work. Come on, I'm going to preach. We take on extra hours. We pick up extra jobs. We even get a second job, and we have compromised what God wanted to do in our lives, and we've given it up for a stinking dollar. And somebody else raises our kids. You drive a car that in 30, 60, 90 days, you say, dear Lord, this payment sure is high, and you and your honey are fighting over a car payment that you really don't like anymore because now you have to work all the hours to make the payment on it because there's more than you can afford. These are small compromises that lead you from God. I believe the church have made hundreds if not thousands of small compromises that have taken God from being front and center to just being somewhere on the, maybe the, the, the name out in front of the building on the sign but we still call ourselves Christians but look we have good worship God must be with us oh we have a good preacher God may be with us look at our facility he has blessed us we must be doing something right God will do his part and God will keep on for a while now watch I'm going to move on am I doing okay so far the very thing that he compromised was a woman that's what he compromised for that very thing was taken from him. Judges 14, 19 says this. <clears throat> uh, let me read the, the, the scripture so I can prove this to you on the killing of the 30 men, the, the murder. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, second time. And he went down to Ashkelon and killed 30 of their men, took their apparel and gave the changes of clothes to those who had explained the riddle. So his anger was aroused. We got murder and we got anger. And he went back to his father's house. He left his wife, verse 20, and Samson's wife was given to his companion who had been his best man. The very thing that he lusted after that he turned from God to go get, he lost. We're searching for things that we think is going to make us happy and we'll leave God at the altar and we'll run after those things and we'll end up losing those very things. He said, well, I hadn't. I mean, I've been chasing the dollar for a long time. Well, if you don't get right with God, guess what? There's this little thing called a wheel. You'll leave it to somebody else, and you'll never spend it. Mm-hmm. Judges 15, chapter 15, verse 14. I subtitled this one, The God of Many Chances. Now, we've been through three... Th- uh, two times already with the Spirit of God coming up on Samson. Judges fifteen fourteen says, When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting against him. 
Then the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. Well, you would think he's right off in God's will, wouldn't you? I mean, this is the third time that the Spirit of God came mightily upon him. And we look at all of these things that he's doing wrong. God is a God of many chances. God won't cut you loose just one time. Look, he is a God of many chances. He wants to accomplish something through you. He wants to accomplish something through this church. Amen? Since he came up uh, mightily upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that is burned with fire, and his bonds broke loose from his hands. Verse 15, and he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, and he reached out his hand and took it, and he killed a thousand men with it. A thousand men. He's a bad dude. When the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, mightily he was. Now watch. I only tell you of this third time that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson to show you how far God is willing to go for you and for your anointing for the calling is put on your life. God will go to extreme measures and let you do a lot of things and still be reaching out to you even though you're making compromises. God says, I still have a plan for your life. I still have a plan for your life. You still have an anointing. You still have a calling. There's a purpose for your life. There's a purpose for this church. And it is not to come on Sundays and Wednesdays and be okay with everything that we do within the four walls. And God's saying, I'm giving you more chances. There's people come in and in and out of these doors. There are people that come for a while and leave for a while. There's anointings and callings within this body that we're not using. I thought this would be a shout-me-down message. But hear me. God will only tolerate so much. Watch this. Then he will pull his spirit from you. I didn't say salvation. Not there yet. Okay, that's a different message. He'll pull his spirit from him. We find that to be true in Scripture. Watch. Now that, watch this. That anointing and that calling, it remains. First John two twenty seven, it it it, it remains is there. It's there. Do you hear me? It doesn't move. But God's spirit, he'll pull it back. Watch this. So Samson compromised three times with, Del, uh, with, with Delilah, and the third compromise caused God to pull his spirit from him. Now we're already over in here with Delilah. Okay? First times, Delilah wasn't in the picture. You know what happened to his wife and his father-in-law? They got murdered. You got to go read the chapter. It's pretty interesting. They were burned at the stake. Because they blamed it on Samson for coming in and stirring up stuff. They knew he wasn't supposed to be there. Samson knew he wasn't supposed to be there. Father knew he wasn't supposed to be there. And, the, and his wife knew he wasn't supposed to be there. That was a given law. But because there was a compromise, guess what? They ended up killing the father and the daughter. And so now Samson... Is angry. He's went back to his father's house. All this, and now he goes back and he turns into a woman named Delilah. And if you, if you like, we did before church, right at the beginning of this service. If you talk about Samson, the first word's Delilah. That's always that's what you note it with. But there was so much that went on in Samson's life way before he got to the Delilah. What I'm trying to tell you, church, there's these little bitty compromises in our lives that go on way before we get to the big thing, way before we fall out of church. Come on. Way before we quit worshiping, way before we quit laying before the Lord in our homes, way before we quit teaching biblical principles in our homes. There's things that happen. There's small compromises. And then when they show up and they quit coming to church, that's when we know it happened. But those small compromises started months ago. You just don't fall out of church overnight. 
You may quit going to a church overnight because something happened, but you don't fall out of church. In other words, out of the, the, the whole process of church. You just don't fall out of church. There are small compromises that lead us to that. You just don't stop doing God's thing that he's put on your life. You're calling overnight. It is a small compromise today, a small compromise tomorrow, maybe three the next day, four the next day, and all of a sudden we have ten compromises, small compromises that make one big thing, and we wonder what happened. And we start looking, listen to me, we start looking around the room saying, who can I blame this on? The preacher wasn't preaching good enough. preacher said something I didn't like. I say stuff I don't like. Well, they didn't do it. They didn't shake my hand when I walked out the door. Y'all think that's funny, don't you? I've had it happen right here. You didn't shake my hand. I ain't coming back. Okay. See, that's not a reflection of me not shaking their hand. That's a small compromise from way back and another small compromise and they were looking for that excuse to say I don't want to do anything with God I don't want to go back to church and I'm going to use this watch this watch this I got hurt in church and I ain't coming back we got hurt on your job when your when your boss eat your tail out and you went back the next day why that's just a dollar we're talking about eternity well that's different no it's not God's got you there so you can learn to be obedient, be under, be under authority. You just have to get a check there. Come on, this is good stuff. You're soaking this in, I know. Samson compromised three times with Delilah. And on the third compromise, God, call, God calls, compromise caused God to pull his spirit from him. So on the third time, remember the first time he's laying there and she wants to know where his strength comes from. And he says, well, if you'll take some bowstrings, seven bowstrings that have not yet been dried, oh, that contains my power. So he's laying there and guess what? She gets him all tied up with these seven bowstrings and says, Samson. The Philistines are up on you. What did he do? He jumps up. Now, here it doesn't say that the Spirit of God mightily came up on him. doesn't say that at all. He said he just gets up and what? Breaks these bowstrings. Judges 16, 20. And he said, and she said, the Philistines are up on you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times. And I will shake myself free. But he did not watch. He did not know that the Lord had departed from him. That's a sad state. When you're going through life and you don't even know that God departed from you, that means you have made a thousand little compromises and you've been so far gone from God, you didn't even know he left. Second thing was tie me up with new ropes. That'll hold my strength. What got him was see those small compromises. He wasn't supposed to be with her no way. She wasn't doing what Christians do. Come on. You hang out with the wrong people. What I say? Well, I'm going to hang out with the wrong people and mess up. That'll infect and affect your calling and your anointing. And the more she pressed him, the more the compromise. The more she pressed him, the more the compromise. And then he said, you know, this woman here, she's right. I mean, I felt God all this time. I mean, you know, she, She's hot. I mean, I know she got other, other men, but I, I love her. <laughs> okay. Can you see? Ralph, it wouldn't happen to me and you, but stroking his hair. Wait, it's in your hair? Yeah, if you cut my hair. Really? Are you, you're not lying to me, are you? I wouldn't lie to you. Well, you have three or four times now. Why? Don't lie to me. If you love me, you won't lie to me. Secretly, she calls for the barber. Cuts his head off, hair off, not his head. Cuts his hair off. He jumps up. What did he say? As before. But he did not know. 
What bothers me so much about this passage of Scripture is this. I'm afraid that God has pulled his spirit from the church. And we did not know it. We see, we go through the motions, we're going and everything's good, and he's left, and we do not know it. That bothers me more than anything. God, help us to repent that we may get back in your presence, that your presence would come and, and abide with us. Because we are a pathetic country club. We're a pathetic civic group. Verse 20, and he said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. So will he awaken from his sleep, and I will go out as before his time and shake myself. But he did not know the Lord had departed from him. Verse 21, Then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes. They poked his eyes out. And brought him down to Gaza, and they bound him with bronze fetters, and he became a grinder in the prison. You know what a grinder was in the prison? Prison folks made flour and stuff like that. They put him to work, and they chained him like a mule, like an like a oxen, to a pole that had the grinding stone on it. And he had bronze fetters, uh, in other words, a chains that were his uh, shackles. And he walked in a circle around and around and around. And he was a grinder, is what they called a grinder. This Samson, this one that was so great, we poked his eyes out. That's all he knew to do. As long as he's hanging on to the pole and walking and say, he couldn't go to the right, he couldn't go to the left. All he could do is take one step in front of the other and just kept walking and kept walking. That was what Samson ended up being. And Samson was called by God. God visited Samson's mother and said, he's going to be a Nazarite. I don't even want you to drink anything from grapes. And he's going to be called of God. And I'm going to use him to begin. Read the scripture in chapter 13. I'll use him to begin to set Israel free from the Philistines. He never made a promise that he would use him all the way to the end. But he said, I'll use him to begin the process of setting Israel them free. How much further could Samson have went if he had stayed in God's anointing and in that calling and what God wanted him to do? How much further? What would the story have looked like differently, Carl? How much more would it have played out? How much more of a player would Samson have been in the Old Testament had he stayed true to God? How much more would LVA Church be in the community if we stay stay true to God's principles? If we stay true to what God wants us to do, to the calling and the anointing that is called a church body to be? Or will we fade away one day and say, oh, there's a great story. They had a good little facility down there. At one time, they were booming. One time, they were doing so good. Were they Really? Or them looking good on the outside, having a name of one thing but dead on the inside. I'm going to hurry and close. Leave if you'll come. I told you God was a God of many chances, didn't I? Oh, I love the way God works. Amen. Because I have compromised so many things in my life. Those little things. And I thought God can never use me again. And if you've been a Christian for more than like three days, three hours. You've had some type of thought. I've messed up so bad God won't use me again. I've, I've done this over and over. And I've pleaded with God to take this whatever this thorn in my flesh away. And, and it's still here. And so he's not going to use me anymore. Well, I got good news. I got some good news. God is a God of many chances. Yes, he did pull his spirit, according to Scripture, from Samson. But watch. In Judges chapter 16, verse 22, the Bible says this. However, that however is the way I look at however. I think that's a conjunction. Is that a conjunction word, however? Could it be? What's that word? You're English people. (laughs) So if I say it's a conjunction, we're okay right now? Okay. However means...
however means it ain't finished yet. However, my mama, you say, I'm going to beat you with an inch of your life. However, if you act right, it's going to be within two inches. There was another option, another plan. Come on. God's got another plan. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. See, the shaving took away that anointing and calling, if you will. That anointing took away God's presence. That anointing took away what he was supposed to his strength, the very thing God was using. But God is a God of so many chances that he said, guess what? Your hair will grow again. And as his hair began to grow, can you picture this with Samson in a prison yard with, uh, with corn or maize that, that he's grinding? He can't see one thing, Andrew. He don't know what's going on. He, all the thing he knows is I'm chained to this pole and all I can do is go around in a circle. But somewhere in the middle of that courtyard, when he turned a little bit one way, there was a breeze that began to blow. And he, I think, maybe said something, what is that on my shoulders? I can't reach it because I'm chained to this pole. Something is on my shoulders. And I believe that Samson began to move his head just a little bit. And that hair that had begun to touch his shoulders... And I believe Samson said, what is this? And as he continued to do what he had been in bondage to do because of little compromises, he was a million miles, he thought, from God's will. I put in my notes, the Philistines made one mistake. They didn't put a barber on the payroll. They figured out, come on, they figured out that if we shave his head, he loses his strength. But see, what they wasn't counting on and what the devil's counting on you not believing is that God will give you a second chance. God will let your hair grow one more time. God will put you back in that anointing one more time. See, the devil wants you to believe that it's over, it's done, and you're in captive and you'll never get out of this going round and around and around. And God says, but I'm God and I'm the author and the finisher of your faith. Not Satan, not the devil, not the enemy, not the captor. And watch this. And Judges 16, 28 says this. This is what I like. So if you're struggling with where you are and what you, you may think, I'm a failure. That I, I'm not going to get up anymore. I've been down too many times. I've said I was going to and I got knocked down. I said I was going to and I went the other way. And, and God's tired of hearing me say, God, if you'll give me one more chance. God, if you'll let me do it one more time. God, if you'll just put your anointing on me. God, if you'll just move on me one more time. I'm going to be right this time. You see, I've said it too many times. What I love about the scripture, you're going through something, dig in it. It'll give you the answer. Judges 16, 28 says, Then Samson called to the Lord. See, the devil got some of you beat up so much, you don't even think you're able to, that you're worthy to call on him. And it says, Samson called on the Lord saying, Oh, Lord God, remember me? <laughs> Come on, how many of you ever been in a spot in your life? You said, Lord, would you just remember me? I'm praying that you remember me where I'm at. Samson didn't try to come up with some elaborate prayer. Samson didn't try to give him an excuse. Samson said, God, would you remember me? The simplicity that comes from our heart gets God's attention. It is not with your elaboracy. It is not how good you've been for the last seven days and God hears you. It is with the simplicity and the openness of your heart that says, God, do you remember me? God, would you remember me? I'm in my stuff, God. I'm that guy that said I wasn't going to do it, and I did. I'm that woman that said I wouldn't do it again, and Lord, here I am again. God, remember me. Look what Scripture says. He says, strengthen me. What nerve 
did Samson have to ask God who he had compromised over and over again, who he had let down, he thought, who he had messed up God's plan, and he had the nerve, Andrew, to say, strengthen me, I pray, just one more time. Just one more time, Lord. Just this once. Strengthen me. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe it's that you cry out to God and say, God, this is the time. Just one more time, God. Just this once, God. And go into him with a broken and contrite spirit and say, God, just this once. God, just this one time will you move upon me. God, will you restore your spirit to me? God, will you place back on me that spirit of God that I once knew when I was young in my faith, when I was on fire for God? Lord, would you place on me that spirit that I haven't felt in years because I've been in bondage to sin. I've been in bondage to my compromises. God, would you one more time strengthen me? Strengthen me. No, God that I may, this reference to Scripture, with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. See, God's plan, when you got to read the whole chapter, you say, why would God do that for vengeance? I thought vengeance was God. Hang on. That's why you got to read the Bible and read all of it in context. Remember I told you in Gen- uh, Judges chapter 13 that he said, Samson will be born and he will begin to deliver my people Israel from the hand of the Philistine remember that see God already knew that he wasn't going to be the deliverer he already knew who that was come on his name was going to be Jesus but it began because for 40 years the Philistines had had such a tyrannical power and government and control over the Israelites that they dare not breathe a word. When they saw the Philistines coming down the street, they all ran and hid. And God said, it's time for the tide to change just a little bit here. I'm going to send a Samson. And although he's going to be crazy as a shot rabbit, he's going to deny me. He's going to run from me. He's going to do everything that I told him. The very three things that I told him that I, that I told his mother and I prophesied to her, the very three things that he wasn't supposed to do, he's going to end up doing them. And then he's going to like it. And he's going to stay there for a while. And then he's going to go back and get him, a, get him a harlot. And he's going to lay with her for a while. And he's just going to wallow in this thing. And knowing all the time that he's not supposed to have a razor to his head. Because his, his spirit, the spirit of God will leave him. And he knew that. And God says, I know it. And guess what? God saw all of that. And God was making a point to the Philistines hear me Philistines I am God and I'm God all by myself and whom I use you can't keep in bondage come on somebody needs to hear that God's got a calling on every one of our lives and when God's ready to use you God wants to use you he's not lacking on his part it's all up to us and what did he do Samson went so far in compromises he went to a place where he could do nothing else but he said oh God remember me and if you'll do that guess what God I'll live the last few minutes of my life serving you and doing what you call me to do see his calling never left even in prison, even laying with the whore, even, even with the wife and taking a, another wife of another country and touching dead animals and shaving his head, his calling that God placed on him never left his life. It's when Samson said, oh God, remember me. Oh God, strengthen me. The church needs to say, oh God, strengthen the church. We are weak. We have been with the whore. We have been with the harlot. We've done things we weren't supposed to do. We've left you by the side, on the sideline. We thought we were the main players, God, and you hadn't been the main player. Oh God, 
strengthen the church. Strengthen LVA Church to be what you call us to be. God, you've got a calling on us for this community. And it is not to come on Wednesdays and Sundays and sit idle the rest of the week. It is not to see people die and go to hell. It is not to see the, the hungry go unfed. It is not to see the those that are naked to be unclothed. It is not to just come and satisfy our itch once or twice a week church and if you think that I promise to tell you I'm here to tell you there's a lot of compromises you've already made in your life if you think that's the purpose are we supposed to take care of the body of Christ absolutely that's why we went social we can make disciples where do you make disciples within the house of God But if our focus is to make disciples only and no winning, we end up like we are this morning with most of our pews empty. Come on. Preacher, you preach hard on that. Yes, I do. I preach really hard on it. Very few people that are not here today will miss work tomorrow. Come on. I'm I'm preaching. You know I'm right. Very few people that are not here today will miss work tomorrow because they're sick. I appreciate if you're sick, stay away. I'm not, I'm just not what I'm talking about. It's those hundred other compromises that's been out for six weeks because God was somewhere. Come on, I'm hard on it because I know that it is where the body gathers, that the enemy is after you. The enemy is to divide you just like he does the family in the household, Andrew. He he has got an all-out war between you and your wife, me and my wife, any spouse in here, between you and your kids. It's an all-out battle. The enemy wants to split up the family. He's been doing a real good job in the last 35 years of splitting the family up. What happens when we split up? There's, there's hurt and there's pain and there's anguish. He wants to do it within the church. But we got to get unified and say, I see you, devil. I see what you're trying to do. I see how you're trying to manipulate us against one another. That's why James talks so much about control your tongue, love one another. Paul speaks of it on uh, many occasions. To love your brother as yourself and do for others. Why? It's not so they can have. It's just so we won't be split up. Because the moment we divide, we'll fall. Come on, this is good. I'm closing. If we as the church... The church in America, the church at Lake Village, Arkansas, Lake Village Assembly of God. I don't pastor any other church. I pastor this one. This is the one I know more than any other church. I know this one. But if we will call upon the Lord, unified, with one heart, with one mindset, with one purpose, to say, God, strengthen this church. Strengthen me. Because when you're strong... You're strong, and you're strong. You put you together. The Bible says that a three-fold cord cannot be broken easily. Woo! But when we're doing our own thing, there's no glue that keeps us together. When God's not in the middle, when God's not the centerpiece, when God's not, not the glue, guess what? Everybody does their own thing, and there's nothing happening. We look busy, but nothing's going on. We look like we're, we're, we're preparing for the future, but we're not. Solomon says, look at the ant and look and see what he does. He gathers and they're in, they're in order and they have a system, but yet no one's told them. Why? Because they're unified in their purpose. So I challenge you as you stand today. This is what I want our prayer to be. This is what your prayer should be. In the balcony... I know it seems like you're a million miles away up there. I know it's politically incorrect to say this, but I'll just say it. You know, that bothered me a whole lot. We ought to close the balcony and everybody come down here. Well, we can't do that with COVID. What I'm saying, it just seems like we're so far apart. And we just, if you're there and we're here, we never connect. Come on. We got to be unified in what we're doing, church. 
What's the purpose of church? What is the purpose of LVA Church? Why do we exist? Why are we here? You know, there's a big difference in the why and the purpose. What are we doing? Have we compromised so much that we don't want to come to church more than one time a week? Have we compromised so much and we've made it so comfortable doing what we want to do on Sunday that, my God, if you have a revival, let's just have to a year because, you know, that's pretty hard on us to come on Sunday night and Monday night and Tuesday night. I mean, you know, we're busy people. Have we compromised and made it so comfortable in our living and what we want to do and made it about us that God is like, I don't like that. Preacher, you can have a revival, but I won't show up. Church, what's the purpose? If we can't find our purpose, let's call a deacon meet and close the doors. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? If we don't have a purpose, close the doors. Close the doors. We're not doing what God wants us to do. The purpose, church, is to win souls. So what does that look like? You come next Sunday, 4 o'clock, go deeper. Go deeper. That's what we're calling that little thing. Go deeper. You come, and I'm going to give you some insight. You say, why don't you tell us now, Pastor? Why don't you tell us now? Because I want you to come. Because this isn't the time. We're going to go deeper. We're going to find God's purpose for this church. We ought to be, look, we ought to be on so on fire, Jessica, for the Lord, that we ought to be building bigger buildings to house the people that are coming to get saved. We ought to be so full of the anointing that when we go out and we talk to somebody, we pray for them, they get healed out there. When they get healed out there, guess what? They're coming to here. When you go out there and you pray for somebody and they accept Jesus and you do that, you do that probably, they're coming to the house of God because they want more. If you can get it done out there, they'll come here. See, this is what happens. The house fills up when we go do what we're supposed to do. The house don't fill up when we come and sit. So our prayer today is this. I want you to be honest. You can come to the front. You can start coming to the front now if you want to. This is the prayer. Strengthen me, oh God. Strengthen me, oh God. He knows what you say. Look, you don't have to describe strengthen. He already knows what you're after. He knows your heart. You don't have to come and say, well, I don't even know what that means. To Oh God, strengthen me. He knows your weaknesses. He knows what you already know them. Quit playing with God and say, God, strengthen me. And let God do something in our lives. I told you last week, and I'm going to tell you this week, and I'll probably tell you the next week. Nothing's going to happen out there till something happens in here. Do you hear this, preacher? Nothing's going to happen out there till it first happens in here. You can come to the altars. Father God, as we come to you today, God, We ask you, God, strengthen us once again, God. Strengthen us, God. Lord, we've compromised so many things, God. Lord, we've left you in the back room, God, while we participated in the front room thinking it was all about you. Strengthen us, God. Once again, Lord. Strengthen me, God. Strengthen me, God. Lord, I can only do what you put in my heart. Lord, let my focus be about you and the Father's business. 
Lord, don't, don't let us go through this time, Lord, this end times, I believe, Lord, with a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. God, don't let us do that, God. Lord, show us our compromises, God, where we have, where we have put aside the Holy Spirit, Lord. Where we put Him in the back room somewhere, God. Show us, God, our compromises. Give us the strength, oh God. to accept our compromises and to deal with them, Lord. But Lord, as supernatural strength came upon Samson as he placed his right hand on one pillar and the left hand on the other pillar and he pushed, as the Word of God says, with all of his might. He was so weak to that point that he had to have someone lead him to that place. But God, when you came upon him, Your spirit. Lord, that anointing, that calling that remains came to fruition that day. And he done greater things on his deathbed than he did while he was alive. I don't believe we're dying, God. But I believe it's time, God, we call on you for the supernatural strength of the Holy Ghost to go do what you call this church to do, God. God, I pray for me and my family. I pray for wisdom and direction and guidance, Lord, to lead this church, God, in such a time as we live in right now, God. Lord, I pray for these these people that are here today, God, that are hearing my voice, God. Those that are hearing my voice by, by video, Lord, that in their spirit, God, you would raise them up again, God. We would call out to you once again, God, to be what you called us to be. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I give you praise.